HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Shine the devil with your rock and roll, Lord. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. Wait, I'm not here. I can't hear myself. Well, there we go. Are we in? Are you with me out there? In the booth? Yeah. You're cool. good. All right. Thanks. Sorry about that, team. Uh, my name is Southern Teague. Damon Bolte is in sunny California today, so it's just going to be me on the show with a guest. Um, but I have some relatively exciting news. Uh, uh, World's 50 Best Bars list just came out today, and my little bar, Amor Margo, made the cut at number 74. Uh, and you say to yourself, well, 50 Best and number 74, that doesn't add up, Teague. Uh, and it doesn't. But they also do the 51 to 100 as their... Um, uh, ones to watch, so I guess we're one to watch. Uh, so Amori Margo doing pretty well. Um, and today we're going to talk about whiskey. Uh, so in the studio I've got uh, author Aaron Goldfarb. He's written several books. This is his first book about whiskey. Uh, it's called Hacking Whiskey. And Aaron lives right here in Brooklyn. Welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Good to see you. It's your first time in, right? First time on your show, yeah. Oh, yeah. What other shows have you been on? I've been on uh, Jimmy's show, Beer Sessions Radio, many times, usually... Books me when uh, someone cancels, so. <laughs> <laughs> You're the standby guest? Yeah, I'm like, uh, who was on the Tonight Show? Always the standby guest. I don't know. Probably would have been a reference no one got anyway. So. Yeah, well. Uh, well, you know what? I, I've been th- I, maybe I should have stand-in uh, co-hosts, you know? When, when Ed was not in, didn't Johnny always have a stand-in yeah. co-host? Yeah. I, think I know when Johnny so, wasn't there, they'd have a stand-in. Yeah, Letterman and Shanling. Well, freelance writers are always good because we're just sitting home doing nothing. So as long as we have <laughs> pants on, we can usually get over here and uh, fill in for someone more important. Freelance writing, that's your job title? <laughs> that's what I write on the income tax, yeah. Yowza. <laughs> uh, and you write for all sorts of outlets, and you write about a, a myriad of topics, not just booze, right? Uh, I'm constantly trying to write about more important topics, but I can never think of any. So I mostly write about beer and whiskey and bar culture. I like to write for places like Punch and Vine Pair because 
you can write about stories that um, just kind of kiss booze a little bit and are more about culture in general. Yeah, I think I think that's that's kind of the the bulk of what what we see about spirits writing is out there. It's it's more about the culture. It's not the you know it's not all just about the drink or the recipe. It's it's about what's going on around the glass, what's going on in the bar you're in, or the people you're hanging yeah. out with. Yeah, I'm so bored by just like ugh, like <laughs> thousand word reviews of distilleries and stuff. I want to hear you know about culture and people. Yeah, yeah, I I like the stories that that maybe you know touch on that. Uh, yeah. Here's what's going on at the distillery, but here's who's running the distillery. <laughs> right. Here's who's visiting the distillery, yeah. and here's the things that they're producing. Here's how they got on the map, exactly. Yeah. What? Uh, uh, we'll dive into your book in a second, but let's just talk about your history with alcohol in general. What? <laughs> you wrote a book about whiskey. Is it because that's a favorite of yours, or you were asked to write that? How does it work? Um, yeah, I love whiskey. If I wasn't professionally writing about it, I'd uh, still be drinking it. I'd, I'd have less bottles in my house, probably. Um, and my wife would be happier about that. But uh, no, you know, whiskey is something I've drank since college, and that was a long time ago, and I've gotten more knowledgeable about it. I've luckily lived through kind of the rebirth of uh, American whiskey in general. Um, I got out of college in 2001, and American whiskey was still pretty poor. Um, Younger people might not even believe it. Pappy Van Winkle didn't even exist then. Right. Um, so a lot has happened. I've luckily lived through it. I've luckily started earning more money and more ability to get good whiskey, and I really enjoy it. And then I was asked to write a book about it. So you were paying attention to that sort of renaissance of whiskey the whole time, right? Yeah, I wasn't. Or were you just sort of aware that it was happening? Were no, you, no, were you no. In it or aware of it? I, I was in it pretty strong and I wasn't wealthy enough to buy cases of a lot of the stuff but I was drinking all the good stuff um yeah see that's never been my experience right <laughs> until recently I've never been able to afford that stuff either I just kind of luckily <laughs> glom onto someone or something or get yeah. invited to a party Whoa. where they're going to be pouring me one precious ounce yeah so, so that I can taste it and jot it down in my tasting notes yeah me too I mean I was lucky to have friends who left college and didn't try to become writers they just tried to make money so they actually had the money to buy the writer who had no money booze <laughs> and they are thanked in the back of the book oh yeah of course yeah <laughs> I, I i give acknowledgments to some people who helped me uh get get to some of the things that i don't think i would have been able to get to in my book as well yeah yeah, yeah. um so let's do talk about hacking whiskey hacking whiskey uh the subtitle is uh, smoking blending fat washing and other whiskey experiments um, which there are plenty of going on, both in uh, professional settings as well as in homes. What, what sort of research and development did you have to do? To <laughs> <laughs> well, the book is, as you said, kind of divided between amateurs and uh, pros. Uh, several years ago, I started noticing on online forums, on Reddit and stuff, people were playing around with whiskey. The original title of the book when I submitted the manuscript was Playing with Firewater, and then my publisher told me no one would buy that, so it became Hacking Whiskey. But people were playing with... Sounds more modern. Hacking. Hacking, yeah. Amazon said, that will actually sell. The other title will not. And so we said, okay. Wow. Thank, thanks, Jeff Bezos. Um, but no, there were lots of people making blends um, online. Um, a lot of amateur blends, like the thing I've secretly brought for us today, started getting some acclaim, believe it or not. There was a real, like, kind of cult thing going on outside of the real mainstream bars that were getting acclaimed. And I, I'm not even sure if a lot of um, bigger booze writers were even paying attention to this uh, going on. I was 
fascinated by it. I enjoyed reading about people blending and doing their own home finishings in tiny barrels. Um, obviously, everyone knows about fat washing uh, and smoking cocktails now. And, you know, in the last few years, it's gotten insane with, uh, you know, whiskey aged steaks like Angie Mars doing and things like that. Uh, whiskey vinegars, really cool stuff. Yeah, uh, those whiskey blue jeans. Whiskey blue jeans. <laughs> barrel-aged blue jeans. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jump the shark. You can barrel-age just about anything. <laughs> yeah, I think that was jump the shark. Uh, you know, as soon as we start barrel-aging barrels, then we're in trouble. Um, oh, that's a good idea. T- <laughs> don't, don't let that get to somebody. Um, I can see the we, press release now. It went out live, but we'll edit it out for the, for the podcast. Um, so l- I want to talk about th- the thing you mentioned before, these home blends. They started out, I think, as what, what, what are commonly called now infinity bottles. Right, well, that's, and I remember, a little, that's a little different, but go on. But yeah, but I remember, yeah, I want to talk about the two because they are two different things. But I remember when I was growing up, um, you know, my grandparents had a bar in their house, my parents had a bar in our house, um, and especially at my grandparents' house, there was no, it was very, uh, you know, 1950s, you know, you saw the decanters that had the little <laughs> necklaces on them that said rye, scotch, yeah, what yeah. have you. There was no brands. It's not like your friends came over and said, pour me my favorite brand. You got poured what, what the house had. Right. And what the house had were these decanters. And when that decanter got low, yeah. my grandparents didn't wait till it was empty to <laughs> refill it. They poured in Just another bottle of rye, yeah. be it the same brand or not. So I feel like the notion of the infinity bottle has been around for a long time. <laughs> right. And I think that maybe became this blending idea, right? You know, that didn't even occur to me. You're probably right. Um, I'm also now wondering if all the old timers had lead poisoning, but uh, (laughs) that's another issue. But, you know, yeah, and I think that's probably the modern day revival of people bragging about the infinity bottle surely started with people going, I'm sick of this bottle, but I'm not rich enough to just dump it. Maybe I can, you know, add it to something and get a little better. Maybe I can just have my kind of waste bottle of everything I don't like anymore and turn it into greater than the sum of its parts and maybe if i can't even do that it will at least get me drunk yeah do you know of any i know of one that i can think of but it's not a whiskey it's an amaro actually but do you know of any uh cocktail bars that are doing their own infinity blends or or something like that or their own house is that even legal i don't know oh fuck no it's not legal (laughs) no shit that shit is not legal (laughs) well you know but at the same time it's you know writers get it's it's interpretation of the law versus spirit yeah writers get told a lot of things and they also get not told a lot of things that are illegal some of which i do get told occasionally um i feel like i've seen that but i don't think there's anyone bragging about their infinity bottle um barrel bourbon did a infinity bottle release where they blended i think irish whiskey and bourbon and rye and it it was pretty good it um wasn't bad they they blended like 30 barrels of different stuff are they the first people that you know did did a release to sell to the public that's the the first that without question put infinity on the label yeah yeah but i mean as as the maker though it's not really an infinity it's just a blend that you're making and bottling. Right. That's why, you know, and like... infinity is I'm down to <laughs> an eighth of a bottle. I'm just going to refill this bottle with another bottle of a different kind. And then yeah. when that's down to an eighth, I'll refill that one. And then that one's down to an eighth. Yeah. Right? That's the notion of infinity. That, 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 I, that, I think, spawned the notion of these home blends where people say, I'm going to take X percentage of this and X percentage of that and blend those together at the same ratio every time. It's different than an infinity, right? Yeah. I mean, a home blend, you would, in theory, go... Um, 
I like the flavor profile of this, but I wish it had a little more smoke or this is good, but too sweet. If it had a little rye backing or, right. you know, something like that. And then trying to hone your blend. And I've, I've had home blends that are out of this world. Exceptional. Yeah. Are you, are you doing one of your own after, um, after writing this book? You know, I've done some in the book. Um, certainly none that have gotten the buzz of uh, a few online that I write about in the book, like California gold and old cousin touchers. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Good, good name. <laughs> um, but yeah, ones are getting buzz. I think dudes are getting bored trying to find Pappy or getting broke trying to do it. So right. if you can create your own exclusive <laughs> rare bottle, it kind of becomes a fun thing. Like, can I can I make something more coveted than than Pappy? Right. I think it also appeals to the DIY nature of of you know the individual that's going on right now. You know, lots of folks want to anything. They want to make their own barbecue sauce. There's plenty of barbecue sauces to buy, or you can make yeah. your own, right? But you can't go out and distill. So I think, uh, not legally, <laughs> Heritage Radio Network does not condone the distilling, home distilling. Okay. Right. Um, there's the legalese. Um, so, so you can't go home and distill, but you can go home and grab three or four different bottles at your local liquor, liquor store and, and yeah. write, you know, measure them out in percentages and make your own blend, which is somewhat effectively making your own whiskey. Well, yeah, and then you can buy a bottle for $2 and labels for 5 and next thing you know, no one knows what it is, and it might as well be your own, right? Exactly, and you, you brought us a couple of bottles to exemplify that right here, right? Yeah. Shall we crack into one? I'm curious to try it. Oh, you haven't even tried it yet yourself? No, I, I have not tried it. Okay. Listen. So now, now that I've kind of became the guy that reports on amateur blends, I get sent a lot of amateur blends. That's nice, huh? I mean, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also get I also free get a, booze is free booze. Well, you know, I get a lot of hate tweets towards me, so you know, maybe I shouldn't just be drinking uh, uh, booze people sent me that's not government bonded, but uh, who's hate tweeting you? What are they saying? You know, if you write things on the internet, people hate you. Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> all across the board. Yeah, um, I like butterflies. So I hate you for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's talk about this one. It's called. Uh, it's got a, a label on it that is very reminiscent of the uh, the Pappy label. Uh, it's this dude sort of uh, looks like he's being very pensive. He doesn't have a cigar in his hand, but he's got his hand up to his mouth like he, he's hanging out. And it's called Old Jimmy B's Dome Reserve. <laughs> you know anything about it? What is, what is it? I do know a little, and it was probably sent to me because I'm a Syracuse fan, and that's. Syracuse coach Jim Beheim. Oh, um, okay. So yeah, I'm no sports guy. I wouldn't have known that at all. Right. So hopefully that doesn't matter for the taste of the whiskey. Um, <laughs> I have no clue what it is. I think it's American whiskey, a combination. I'm curious to try it. Uh, he didn't send you any info. He just said, here's a bottle. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's like crazy mail right there. <laughs> well, you know, that's... Take your chances, candy. That's what I'm telling you. Is it, you know... So uh, you don't have to drink it, but I'm I'm going to. I can drink it first and see if I fall over. I yeah, passed the first test. I didn't go blind. It smells pretty good. It does smell good. It smells sweet and slightly honeyed. Hmm. Um. Yeah. There's a uh, when I was in uh, Mexico. There's a candy called. It's it's all in Spanish. It says take your chances. It says most are filled with sweet candy apple or whatever. And then it says some are filled with fiery habanero. Take your chances. Yeah, I think the... Uh, so that's what you got here. The, They're just sending you bottles. Yeah, Enjoy! The, <laughs> the Jelly Belly jelly beans also have those that, like, some taste like trash, some taste like chocolate. <laughs> Take your chances. I think this is pretty good. It's nice. It's not trash. It is not trash. Uh, hope the maker is listening. Um, it's warm, though. Oof, that's high proof. 
Yeah, a lot of these blends are really amped up. Um, probably the biggest thing the online whiskey geek hates is low proof booze. So, right, which I'll, I don't think I'll ever necessarily completely understand. Why is it that whiskey drinkers specifically really like Spec- high proof? Well, I so cask strength, barrel strength, like they want. I it think all. it's specifically American whiskey drinkers. You know, b- bourbon comes out of the barrel in the 110 to 140 range. So if that's watered down to 80%, you're buying a bottle of half water or mm. third water. I can't do math. Um, scotch comes out of the barrel lower. So if you're buying an 85 proof scotch, it might not be watered down that much. Um, obviously, a lot of other spirits aren't. Um, necessarily taking much away say a gin or something but you know i i I don't think necessarily a lot of whiskey drinkers are demanding that everything they drink is 140 proof i think they just want to make the choice like i'll add water i'll add ice or i'll add whatever i just don't like you stripping away the flavor and the body with without me getting to choose how much i want to strip away sure i totally understand that notion but i think that the sort of fallacy that lies on the typical consumer is so, so my thinking about cask or, or barrel-proof spirits mm-hmm. is that this is the, the maker, the distiller, giving you the product just as it comes out of the barrel. It's up to you to soften the blow by adding as much or little water as you'd like. But I don't think that there's ever an implication that you don't add any. But I think that the typical consumer thinks that that's the truth. Um, now, the whiskey nerds, they know to add some water or some ice, as you just said. But I think the typical consumer... Is like, I'm going to drink this 140-proof whiskey. <laughs> well, you know, I don't think average Joes are buying those. There's not a lot of mainstream barrel-proof whiskeys, maybe Booker's or Wild Turkey Rare Breed, um, which are hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's a good question to ask. Uh, I, I think booze kind of works the way it does, and if you can't handle it, you figure out how to handle it quick enough. Yeah, we were having a discussion not too long ago here on the Speakeasy about this sort of thing, about how, um, and again, this is just my belief, but my belief is, is backed up by you know 17 years of standing behind a bar. I believe that the typical consumer doesn't necessarily understand what ABV is. They look at a menu and they see 10 drinks on the menu and they assume that they're all somewhat the same oomph. Yeah. Even though there's a low ABV you know, uh, Americano on there and there's a... There's a high ABV old-fashioned on there. I think they think, I had three drinks last night. Yeah. Whether they were three of those or three of the other or a combination of the two, it's three drinks, which is shocking to me because I know that you know, now as marijuana is becoming legalized, we see a lot of CBD stores and, and like the, the legal marijuana. You know, it's, got, it's got whatever. I'm not, I don't use that stuff. Yeah. It, it, it says how much is in each. So you know what you're dosing. Yeah, I mean, people are acutely aware of that, but they are totally ill-aware with spirits. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know how you do it, but I, I'd love to see the ABV of cocktails if that was easily calculable. It I, is, actually, and we're uh, for, weird that you'd bring it up. We're about to change the menu to Maury Margon for the first time ever. I think we're going to list ABVs. I, yeah, I would love to see that. So what is a typical ABV of a highball or an old-fashioned? or Right. I mean, you know, highballs are pretty low, frankly, yeah. because they're about 50% you know, soda spirit water, yeah. to, to bubbly water. So you basically just take that ABV and cut it in half. But there is a formula. It's pretty easy to use. It's it's published as well. It's in uh, Dave Arnold's book, Liquid Intelligence. You can calculate your ABV pretty easily, um, you know, based on volume, uh, which is what it is, alcohol by volume. 
Uh, yeah, and I think we're going to list it on the menu. We've talked about it for the past two menus and not pulled the trigger and done it, but I think we're going to do it. I would love that. I've I've never seen that at a bar. Um, you see it at beer bars. Well, of course you see it at beer bars, which is but critical because there's such. So whiskey bottles have, you know, the ABV on them. All, all spirits bottles do, and people generally know that most alcohol that's not overproof is going to be forty to ninety, forty to one hundred. Um, and it's only an ounce and a half or two ounces. Beer is so wide right now. You can get a, a 12-ounce 4% Pilsner or the, you know, 16-ounce Pounder cans of 8 or 9% double IPA. You know, right? three of those compared to three of these, it's... it's Game changer. Really, it is. Yeah. And I see the same thing where people go, well, I mean, you know, I'm only going to have three beers. And then they have, you know, two Imperial Stouts and a double IPA. And it's it's a lot. Yeah. I think I, I just think it's a curious thing. I think people pay great attention to like the dosage they're taking of medication, the dosage they're taking of these new marijuana products that are legalized. And uh, but alcohol, it's like a drink is a drink is a drink. Well, people also want to deny how much they're drinking. <laughs> they want to deny, yeah, uh, living in denial. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We'll come back in just a second on Heritage Radio Network, talking to Aaron Goldfarb about his new book, Hacking Whiskey. My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. And we are back on Heritage Radio Network at the Speakeasy. Uh, in the studio today, I've got Aaron Goldfarb, uh, author of Hacking Whiskey, Smoking, Blending, Fat Washing, and Other Whiskey Experiments. Um, were you experimenting with whiskey before you wrote this book, or did the book incentivize you to do some experimenting? I wasn't doing massive experimenting. When you're a booze collector and a writer, you have a lot of whiskey, a lot which you get for free. So... <laughs> You get really bored. There are very few perks to the job, and that's one. Yeah. Um, you get really bored with just normal whiskey, and you need something else to excite you. Maybe that doesn't happen to you, other. And you start going, I wonder what could happen with this, or I'm not opposed to completely wasting a bottle, doing some stupid fat wash, or I throw this with this. Um so I was casually doing it in a haphazard fashion. It was not something I was meticulously doing, like a lot of people who have dozens of tiny barrels going and all sorts of blends and whatnot. Yeah. Wh- uh, what do you think about, um, or, or what are your thoughts on um, like bars that do barrel aging? Uh, like barrel aged cocktails, sure. Or, or even just adding more barrel to some spirit. You know, I'm a sucker. I always get the barrel aged cocktail. I don't always love the barrel aged cocktail, but I like it. I think I think they're fun. I think they can integrate things well. I like a little oxidizing in cocktails sometimes, which can be cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pro it. Cool. I only ask because it was a trick question. Because I I'm doing it at one of my bars right now, <laughs> uh, Windmill, the newest bar that I opened on the Lower East Side on Clinton Street. Um, I have on the menu what I call the double barrel old fashioned, and it's a double barrel old fashioned because it's a blend of cognac. 
and rye whiskey, both of which are barrel aged, so that's double barrel. Hmm. But then I have two 10 liter barrels, and I filled them both when we opened 38 days ago. And we decant from one of them. And when that one reaches half level, I'll take half from the previous one and fill it, and then I'll refill the first one. So this is fractional aging. This is basically a miniature Solera. Yeah. Right? But So that's two barrels. So two barrels from two things that come from two barrels. So double barrel old-fashioned. I like it. I would get that immediately. Yeah, yeah. It's been very popular. Um, people like the visual aspect of it. The barrels are visible. You know, we can see them on the bar. So. And is the flavor profile changing week to week? It is. Uh, it's slowly at first. I imagine that it'll get more in-depth as we go, right? Because, again, we're only 30-something days old, so I barreled this stuff maybe 40 days ago. Um, but as we keep, keep going and then keep moving and refilling, I think it's going to... Yeah. Affect the flavor pretty pretty heavily, frankly. What size barrels? Ten liters. Okay. So they're pretty, you know, pretty decent size. That's <laughs> bigger than most home Yeah, I mean I'm messing around. Exactly. This is, exactly. Yeah. this isn't at home. But you know, it's pretty cheap, right? The barrels yeah, yeah. cost about a hundred bucks a piece. Um I bought them at uh, I don't, I it, It's remember. shockingly cheap how cheap barrels are on the internet. Yeah, I can't remember the the website. It was like barrels are us yeah, or something. There's a like zillion that. of them. Yeah. I, I it was a quick Google search and I ordered it and they yeah. came, boom, easy, easy, easy piece. They had multiple sizes, like can even get a nice engraving in them. Yep, absolutely. That was all offered. Um, do you have anything like that at your house? I, I have a barrel. Just one? How big? Uh, it's a three liter, which doesn't seem gigantic until you're standing at the kitchen counter for like an hour dumping shit into it. And you're going, wow, this is a lot more booze than I thought. And you're recalculating what you're trying to build in it. And it's uh, not going great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to probably think that, that any experimentation that you're doing at home is going to result in something that's at least drinkable. And then you can fortify that at least drinkable with the notion that you made it yourself. So suddenly it becomes even more delicious. Well, that's the nice thing about at least the first half of the book, it's hard to really screw up and really make something undrinkable. If you're putting a lot of good whiskey together, you're doing a halfway decent cocktail, it's still going to be pretty good. Um, right, you're never going to go down some awful trail. Some, until, <laughs> until you get to some of the more in-depth things. And you, you sort of uh, casually mentioned earlier in the show that you, th- you feel like everybody knows about fat washing. I disagree. I think it's still, you know, we live in a bubble, this, this uh, cocktail That's true. nerdery. Right, so I think that fat washing is still somewhat new to most people. I bet you know this guy at this table right here. We could say, "Hey, buddy, you ever have you know fat, fat washed bacon whiskey?" He'd be like, "You're you're talking like you're from the moon." Well, I mean, he wore basketball shorts to a restaurant, so he probably doesn't. It's a pizza joint. <laughs> it's um, a pizza joint. Uh, <laughs> so, how how what are the pitfalls of doing fat washing? Um, for the amateur. Yeah, for the amateur or the pro. Um, I, I'd honestly like to hear if pros have issues too, because it seems so effortless. Um, Time. Always the enemy. Potential for disaster. Um, You know, you got to be very patient when it comes to it working. You know, filtering through a cheesecloth is not quick work. You're not going to, voila, I got a bacon-flavored... Bourbon or what have you. Yeah, there might be chunks floating if you're lazy and (laughs) going through it. Mm, chunky bourbon. Chunky bourbon. You know, how do I store it? Where do I put it? What do I do with it? Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of tried and true ones. If you see them at bars, uh, bacon is a, a frequent one, and it does work. It's pretty easy to do at least a competent fat wash. Again, patience sure. is a virtue. Um, when you start having visions of crazier ones, you know, can I make a lamb burger whiskey? Uh, yeah, there's major pitfalls there. Yeah. I had, uh, speaking of lamb, I had a lamb fat washed scotch, mildly peated. That was fucking delicious. Yeah. 
but at the same time, it's like such a thing that I would not think to do myself. What, what do you think encourages someone, home, the home user, to do these things on their own? The home user? Yeah. Or, uh, bo- or both. Well, I think you can speak the, to either. I know it encourages bartenders to do it. Ego and, and sales and Instagram. and It's great press. It's great you know. press. Yeah, like, you know, get it out there. Yeah, I mean, I got a, a foie gras um, fat wash cocktail in there from a bar. I mean, how, how are you not going to write about that? Right. Uh, also, how are you not going to order that? I'm going to order that. Right. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm going to order that. Yeah. Uh, at home, it's the, as you said, the, you know, DIY thing. Can I do it? This sounds fun. Or for guys like me who've never worked at a bar, it's, you know, the second I think of something insane, I Google it to see, well, has anyone on planet Earth thought of this? Yeah, a million people have. But there's that one time you think of something that no other bar's ever done, or at least hasn't been written about on the internet, and you're, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the first one to do it. And maybe it'll work, and maybe it doesn't, and usually it doesn't work, and you go, okay, that's why no one has ever put it on a bar menu. But, you know, it's fun, and whiskey is still relatively cheap. Uh, screwing up a fat wash could cost 25 to to $100 for, you know, a weekend of fun. That's not the end of the world. Yeah, true. Absolutely. It's your entertainment dollar. Yeah. And right. then you can keep dining out by telling people about how you screwed up your... And also, like, the, the, here's the crazy part, I think, with things like this. You know, it's not... It's not so, I was a chef for 12 years. Not so common with food that you make a terrible mistake and you still serve it to people because at least it's like, hey, check this out. It didn't really work, but check it out. Yeah. Right? If I made some awful soup, it's going down the drain. We're not right. trying it. Well, but if I made a weird fat wash that doesn't quite work, I might be like, I'm going to hang on to this and taste my friends on it until it's gone. And you could blend it into an infinity <laughs> fat wash <laughs> bottle. Yeah. That's a thing I recommend to people all the time when they come to me and say, how do I do an infusion or how do I do something like a fat wash? I say, make it 10 times stronger than you think you need and make it small, right? Just make a quart or less, but make it really strong. And then that's your concentrate. You keep adding whiskey to that or whatever to that to stretch yeah. it out to the place where it tastes good. But, and so, sometimes something that tastes bad neat could be just a very aggressive note in a cocktail you Absolutely. could build. and. At the least, it's fun for someone to come over and say, what is that in the corner? And you say, well, that's my kosher hot dog gin. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good that you mentioned gin, because I was going to ask, I, your book is called Hacking Whiskey, and I've, I've read uh, a good portion of it. I didn't get to read it all, but um, it's, it specifically deals with whiskey. Why specifically whiskey? I've definitely had grilled cheese-infused vodka in a, in a Bloody Mary that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, fat washing certainly is happening with all spirits. You're not seeing, or at least not yet, a lot of amateur blends with anything aside from whiskey and a little rum. I mean, tiki bartenders have obviously been... Yeah, they've been at it for years. At it for years. Uh, you know, I mentioned Ginfinity bottles and rum Infinity bottles. Those are going on too. But the most chatter online and, and circles seems to be with American whiskey drinkers. Um, yeah, the Scots aren't so... <laughs> They're not so into this notion, I've noticed. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I think American whiskey drinkers are just more loud online, more passionate, more strongly opinionated, more trying to brag about crazy things they've done than you know the American gin connoisseur community. Right. Uh, okay, crazy. What's, uh, what's something that you've seen that you thought to myself, fuck, that's nutty? Like a... a- Anything. Anything involving whiskey? What did it, what did you think was like? Okay, this is <laughs> this guy's breaking out of the box just to break out of the box. Well, and while you're talking about that, I'm going to crack open this other bottle you bought us. Okay, there. So in Houston, at a German, a Houston German beer garden, they decided to see if they could make a later hosen infused whiskey. 
So they got vegetable tanned leather, which is food grade, sure. or whatever the term is, and they, they made a leather-infused whiskey. And I think that's pretty cool. That doesn't sound so crazy. It's not so crazy. I it mean, there are crazy when you said specifically lederhosen, but when you just say it's leather, okay, I get it. Yeah, a lot of like I'm thinking like is this some sweaty lederhosen from some <laughs> alpine hiker who's been blown on that big horn? Yeah, Ricola. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of the crazier ideas are more in how you sell them than what you what they actually are. Um, what else? Uh, as I mentioned, a foie gras infused that made sense to me, but I could see other people going. That's you know. Doesn't seem to work. Um, as you probably have done, you know, milk uh, milk washes seem almost impossible to pull off. And, you know, again, patience with the curdling and, and whatnot. Um, sure, sure. We leave that stuff to Eamon Rocky. He knows what's going on in that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably the hardest type of infusion or fat wash. But, you know, I'm just a guy willing to try everything. So everything kind of makes sense to me. Well, I mean, that's your job. You're in the job of being the guy who's like, okay, I'm going to experiment and try all this stuff because I'm going to write about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to be empirical with my approach. <laughs> right. This is the most difficult bottle of whiskey I've ever tried to get into. It better be good. <laughs> better be worth something, huh? Should I tell them what we're going to drink? Yeah, no? yeah, yeah, because I can't really read it. It's all scraped up. Well, so it's Yom Kippur, and I'm a Jew, and I'm not in synagogue fasting, so I thought I'd bring Israel's first... I didn't even think about that, dude. I'm sorry to have you on today. <laughs> well, you know, I haven't been to services in about 20 years. <laughs> all right. Um. No, this is Israel's first whiskey. I understand it's not on the market yet. Um, do they not drink in Israel? Because they do not want me in this bottle. <laughs> well, you know, I think the climate is very hot. So I'm guessing it ages <sighs> kind of like maybe... I got it. I don't know. It, it's finished in three different barrels that I believe are listed on the side. Um, I can't read it. Oh, yeah. There we go. Cast out. Uh, red wine, bourbon, and Islay. And you definitely get the smoky Islay notes right off the nose. But it also has like a, well, you tell me what you think. This uh, distillery is called Milk and Honey. I've never tried anything from them, so it smells young. Yeah, very young. Admittedly, they say it's young whiskey on the label. I think it's four years old, if I recall the notes. It's also got an aroma that's, I can't put my finger on it right now. I don't mind it. Little tire, tire. Yeah, a little petrol for a young whiskey. I don't. It's palatable. How do you think your um, your palate for whiskey and your uh, vocabulary for whiskey has progressed in your? You know, that's a thing. A lot of us talk march through all of this. <laughs> you know, that's a thing. A lot of us talk about like people that are in whiskey can. You almost lie what a bottle tastes like just because they know all the words, you know, bourbons, vanilla, and caramel, you know, <laughs> sc yeah. scotch is Band-Aid and whatever. Iodine, yeah. Yeah, so it's easy to almost lie about the flavor notes. It's harder to really pull out the oddball ones, the rare ones. I think my palate's pretty good. My descriptors are average to decent. Um, I do a lot of blind tastings in the punch office with a lot of people with wine type palettes and it's really helped improve my descriptors and notes because those just don't exist and um yeah those guys have a, it seems like they have a better grip on the vernacular yeah uh, we try and use those words on the menu at amori margo it seems to mostly confuse people when we use <laughs> wine terminology or, or wine vocabulary yeah. for, it's, it's still a drink you're drinking a drink right i it, can we, say this tastes like 
leather and smoke. Yeah. Then they say, is there cut garden hose actually in it? Right. Exactly. I get asked all the time, is there really leather in this? No. <laughs> Unless you're at a Houston German beer garden. It's also kind of got like a little bit odie. Well, the, the young note tastes like unaged bourbon. So I wonder if they mixed unaged bourbon with... I don't know, but they're distilling every single thing, which is also weird. I don't know. Well, it's M&H, milk and honey, young single malt, triple cask, made in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. What, uh, how do you think the whiskey market is doing growing into the countries that it's in now? In non-typical countries? Exactly. Well, I mean... Like everybody's getting on the bandwagon. Yeah, um... Scandinavia has some pretty good whiskey that I've had. Um, India, I think a lot of people know. Yep. They drink the most whiskey, but a lot of it's grain-neutral whiskey, but they're moving towards higher and stuff. Uh, everyone, of course, knows Japan and Taiwan has great whiskey. Dominating. Yeah. Uh, Canada's picking up their game after year, years <laughs> Finally. of... After years of... Uh, oh, man. Such Stop. an insult. Canadian <laughs> rye whiskey is an insult to everything I think about rye. Yeah? Yeah. Just those terrible blends that may or may not even involve rye. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the problem. Uh, I don't mind their flavors, maybe, but I don't like what it says on the bottle. Yeah, a lot of quote-unquote Canadian rye is 5% rye. Yeah. It's, it's a labeling issue that confuses people. Uh, yeah, exactly, which I think then leads them down a, a, a wonky path, you know? <laughs> they may get to liking their Canadian rye, and then they don't understand American rye or, or vice versa. Yeah, then they try some... Hardcore American Ryan, it makes no sense. Yeah. I think that that all happened because of Prohibition. So many things got screwed up because of Prohibition. When America wasn't, you know, selling or drinking legally, we were going and getting it from Canada, and Canada was smart enough to say, oh, they drink rye down there? Just call this brown stuff rye. <laughs> Just call it rye. They'll drink right. it. They'll buy it. Yeah. Uh, and then that stuck. And then we're still stuck with it today. I, I think it's pretty fascinating that so many more countries are getting on board and making whiskeys. Because every country throughout the world has their own spirits but it does seem that the two that are dominating the field of people trying to make that maybe they didn't make before are obviously whiskey and vodka well vodka you can obviously make anywhere right um from anything i I think it's kind of a shame everyone's trying to make whiskey um and there's a lot of good whiskey outside of kentucky and america as well but um you know, when I go to other countries, I want to drink their kind of national spirit. I don't need to drink a young, poor whiskey that's worse than... Sure. <laughs> I find that, yeah, that's a huge problem. And, and the, the strange thing is a, it's a problem within each country. You know, when I was in France and I was in Cognac, I went to the BNIC, which is the governing body of how Cognac is made. And it was shocking, the statistics that they showed us about consumption globally and at home. It was less than 2% of all cognac produced is drank in the country of France. Crazy. And if I said less than 2% of all American whiskey is drank in America, that you'd be like, you're crazy. That's yeah. not true. You, we drink our own juice. Yeah. Like, we drink the most of our juice. We send some of it out into the world. We, we drink it all. Right. And it's shocking to me to know that other countries don't have such a loyalty to their own thing. Which yeah. is weird. Their loyalty then is to our thing. <laughs> Everybody wants American whiskey. Yeah. Except uh, the Scots. Well, everyone's Japanese whiskey, too. That, too, yeah. Except the Scots. <laughs> uh, do you remember when um, High West came out with their campfire whiskey? Uh, yeah. That's... It, was, it was the first time someone had blended 
two American whiskeys, a bourbon and a rye, as well as a peated scotch from Scotland. And the Scots were like, not having it, man. Do you remember there was like a little bit of a... Yeah, that, I cover that a got, little in the book. Yeah, a little piss. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. Because I thought that was an interesting yeah. story when it happened. That's probably the most defined niche of amateur blends, campfire blends, adding peat, adding smoke to mostly American-based blends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I interviewed David Perkins from High West or formerly from High West, I don't know what he is now, right. uh, about the inspiration for that. And I, I think it was a very inspired inspiration, and I'm sure it did piss off the Scots. <laughs> yeah, they weren't, uh, they weren't too stoked about being blended into American whiskeys. <laughs> right. They like, they'll do their own blending, but they're not stoked about it. Yeah, we'll about handle them. it, thank you. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, you didn't, have, you didn't have to sell them the barrels. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which, you know, again, Scots, they're, they don't do their own new barrels because they're <laughs> frugal. They invented the word frugal. I'm Scottish, so I can take the piss out of Scotland, Scotland all I want. Yeah, I always wonder what was going on before we were giving them all our, our cheap bourbon barrels. So. Uh, yeah, I guess that first round they had to cast themselves, right? <laughs> If we just wait it out, America will get a thriving bourbon <laughs> yeah. community, and then we'll just get barrels for cheap. Right. We're older than them. We can wait. Um, so we've talked about fat washing and blending. You talk about uh, the first thing listed on your book and the cover photo of the book, which is beautiful, is a picture of a, a glass of whiskey that's got a billow of smoke puffing out of it. Um, where do you think this notion came from, and where do you think it's going? For, well, for both home and, and, yeah, and professional. I, I think smoke makes for a better cover than a fat washing. <laughs> yeah. Chunks of iceberg-looking fat floating you on know, top of a whiskey. Yeah. Humans love smoke. If you smoke something at a bar, everyone turns. If, you know, there's an open fire at the pizzeria or barbecue place, you know, at least men can't help but stare at it. Sure. And take pictures of it. And if you've been to a cooperage firing the barrels, it's like, it's just Wow. Um, I think whiskey, obviously, the flavor of whiskey is created from from fire, from charring the barrel. The the bulk of the the flavor, in most people's opinion, is is char, is barrel. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I try and explain to people all the time that when it comes out of the still, it's effectively vodka. It's clear. Yeah. It's pretty odorless. It's pretty colorless. Um, it's the barrel that gives it everything. Yeah. And that can be the char and the smoke, or that can just be the vanilla and all the other tannins that are in the barrel. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think the idea of adding smoke, if not just for fun and amping it up a little, was a natural one. I'm not sure who's credited as the first person to do that, but there's a lot of great devices and cheap devices now for doing it. I guess probably the first place I saw it was maybe Canon. Oh, yeah, Jamie Boudreaux out in Seattle. Yeah, he was doing it before Canon, though. He was doing it at, uh, okay. what was the place he worked before he opened Canon? Vessel, Vessel 79, I think it was called. Yeah, um, it's fun. It adds nice flavor. It obviously adds aromatics. Um, Aroma is 90% of flavor. Yeah, so, you know, and I think now people are starting to play with different types of wood on the smoke, different types of, you know, you can, you can smoke uh, with um, herbs and, dried fruits and you know i've i've had cocktails where they literally chop up a barrel stave fire that with a culinary torch and then smoke the glass with that so you're kind of adding barrel smoke back into the the cocktail um it's fun to play around with and that one's something really easy for amateurs to do if you get a device called the smoking gun yeah it's like 80 bucks from uh okay uh, breville yeah there we go breville makes it yeah yeah it's fun it's People love it at a, a party. Um, 
your wife will yell, uh, honey, is something uh, on fire? No? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Be sure to disengage your smoke alarm prior to... Right, but it's a cold smoke. Or do it on the porch. You really can't light anything on fire, and it's it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you done some personal experimenting with that and had some successes you want to share? With smoking things? Yeah. Well, you know, again, once you have so many bottles, you start going... You know, at my Christmas party, I smoked an eggnog. Um that worked all right. Yeah, you smoked the entire thing or a component? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, late in the evening, I smoked a, a, a you know, like, giant bulbous snifter of, of uh, uh, eggnog. And, you know, it latches on well to the eggs and mm-hmm, absolutely gave it kind of a roasted marshmallow type addition. It was cool. Brilliant. Sounds brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to smoke my next egg, eggnog. You can have that one. <laughs> me, me and Nick Bennett. He's got a. I read your egg na- age nog, uh, yeah. one in there yeah. in my book. Yeah, Nick. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's uh, yeah. He's been doing this for years, and so we have a thing we do together uh, every holiday season. We get together and we taste his aging eggnog, which this year will be three years old, I think. And That's how old mine is as well. And this year I have a four-year-old um, sour. Oh, right. I built a sour. I built a crap ton of it, multiple cases. Yeah, uh, we've been serving it every New Year's since then. But I'll, I'll steal away, I, steal away a bottle and go take. I was surprised Nick. he keeps in his in the cupboard. Yeah, I, I keep mine in the fridge. Non refrigerated. That's he's he's living life on the edge. Yeah, I, I'm at three years too, which is older than my daughter. Amazing, um, and I, I I cherish it as much. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, all right. Well, we've got one last bottle here that we want to t- touch into before we take uh, before we take our break. Um, this one uh, just says Brooklady on it. What's what's in this bottle? This is from their Octomore series, which they claim is the most peated series of um, whiskey ever made. Whoa! I, I know a lot of people think that's bullshit because there's there's some way to really amp up the peatiness. I, I, I mean, don't... I cracked the lid and it smells smoky. Yeah, this is. Uh, yeah, this will this will this will really torch us. It'll be like drinking a band aid. <laughs> Which? How did that become a, a positive note? Mm. You know, it's like when wine, when wine, when the wine guys will say, "Like this tastes like cat pee in a barn." Yeah, I'm like, like I don't, I don't know that I want that. And they're not, like, "No, no, that's good. It's you know, good. That's good. You want that horse blanket?" Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm, Band aids. That is, yeah, peaty and iodiney. It's it's more drinkable than the nose would make you think you no kidding yeah it is so much softer on my palate than it I, is on my nose. I really like it pretty aggressive on the nose but soft and easy to drink thanks for sharing that with mm-hmm. us um all right aaron you got uh your books out it's available everywhere right it's uh yeah it'll be in barnes and nobles and all sorts of small local places that you know don't uh underpay their employees <laughs> probably <laughs> no nothing against barnes and noble oh, man they're gonna throw my book out now damn that's not true they're not listening <laughs> okay it, um so aaron goldfarb's book hacking whiskey available now uh at fine bookstores everywhere including barnes and noble i love barnes and noble yeah um you got any social media you want to throw out there so people can follow your experiments uh yeah i'm just aaron goldfarb on social media um aaron double a yeah, I don't tweet a lot because you just get in trouble when you tweet. But I Instagram pictures of things I'm drinking and my cat occasionally and 
maybe even what we're doing right now. Yeah, of course. I'm going to Instagram some of this I'm going to do it too. I can't wait. On our Speakeasy podcast. Um, yeah, so, uh, well, I'm going to wrap up the show by uh, maybe looking at my calendar really quickly and seeing what's coming up soon. Damon will be back. Oh, wait. No, he won't. Not next week. Um, yeah, next week looks like we might have Danny Ronan in town. He's from uh, Unlimited Liabilities. Uh, the following week, we got uh, Kevin Beery from Three Dots in a Dash in Chicago. Uh, following that, we got Paul Finn, uh, who's going to come and talk to us about uh, hospitality and health. Uh, uh, hospitality and health care, specifically. Um, yeah, lots of great shows coming up soon. Uh, plus, we've got some pre-recorded shows that we did. I just got back from Florida. That's why I missed last week's show. I was down in Florida uh, at Death or Glory Bar with my friend uh, Annie Blake uh, and uh, Amy. I don't, can't recall Amy's last name at the moment, but they own Death or Glory. They were nominated this year for Spirited Awards um, Best New Cocktail Bar. It's a great place to go. They wanted to do a charity for uh, the Parkland students, uh, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Foundation. Uh, so they invited Joaquin Simo and myself down. Joaquin and I are both native sons of Florida, so it made sense for two Florida boys to go home and raise some money. So we had a great time down in Florida. Um, just want to give those guys a shout out. We raised a little over sixteen hundred dollars in in one night, so a good time was had by all. Um, and then, yeah, lots more travel. So while I was down there, I I did. Uh, I was also in Kansas City prior to that, doing a books uh, event at Pop Fest with Ryan Maybe and the whole team down there. So um, we did. Uh, I did thirteen um, interviews. So we're gonna sit down in the studio at some point and edit those all together and make a a really cool show out of out of doing some travel. Damon's gonna be doing the same thing while he's out in California. Uh, so you're going to hear a lot more sort of recorded, uh, produced uh, material from us on the on the website uh, and the podcast. Uh, we'll still be doing live shows, of course. So uh, thanks for tuning in to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Please go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate and keep shows just like ours on air. Um, and uh, thanks for listening. Cheers, guys. Don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's going to save your soul. The for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.